I would like to start off this episode with a special thanks to all of my wonderful listeners and supporters. This is a pretty crazy time right now, and I understand how stressful it can be, but I promise I'm going to continue creating content for both this podcast and my other podcast and some other things in the future. But if there's ever anything I can do to help you, Please let me know because no matter how crazy things get, we're all in this together and we will get through to the other side. Welcome to An Incomplete Guide to World Domination, a podcast by creators for creators, because together we can take over the world. I am your host, Brianna Toiber. This is part two of my conversation with Ian Humphrey. That's definitely more beneficial. It is nice to just, I like having a boss or a manager where, like, there's not a lot going on. You can just kind of goof off and you can, like, tease them and mess with them. But also when things start getting busy and stuff needs to get done, they're just like, okay, they're going to do this. Right. Right. Like, where they have that balance. So for about a year, this guy may be my favorite, like, on-the-floor manager I've ever had at 10 years in the service industry. A guy named Paul Riley, who may someday hear this. That'd be kind of cool. Small world, then. <laughs> I mean, he's he. I think he listens to the show. He's certainly a supportive guy. He was my first Patreon subscriber. This is a really sweet guy. Anyway, he was a veteran, and his approach to... This was when I was... Uh, I should back up a little bit. Uh, for about Nine months, almost a year, I lived on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, serving tables at one of the restaurants in the little tourist trap. I've been there. What's that? <laughs> I don't know if I've been to that restaurant, but I've been to the, yeah, I think I've, yeah, I think I've been there before. If you've, if you've been to that tourist trap and you ate at the not incredibly fancy place and not the cafeteria, that was us. Uh, it was a running joke that we were the Denny's of the Grand Canyon. We're like, it was pretty good food. Whatever. It's fine. You'll get in. You'll, you'll get out. It'll be fine. I don't think we were there long enough to have eaten. Oh, uh, okay. Um, well, you certainly, you probably walked past my home. The housing situation there is ridiculous because they just put you in the midst of the hotels. So you're not, you're never like outside of the tourist machine. You're just a piece of it from the moment you pass out to the moment you wake up or whichever. Um, anyway, what I loved about Riley was that, yeah, he, you know, occasionally go to parties and drink with us. But when we were on the floor, he was CERN, he would crack jokes. And if you needed help with tables, he'd help you. One time we had a, the, a machine breakdown and he rolled up his sleeves and his, you know, nice manager, pretty clean shirt and washed dishes. He was just a phenomenal guy who could play sort of all three skill sets that are important. The screwing around when it's fun to, the giving orders when orders need giving, and the getting your hands dirty when, you know, something breaks down. I was very fond of him and uh, was a great leader and honestly has seeped into Gibbons a, f a fair amount. He just kind of turned into Gibbons. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a bit, a bit. I'm always wary of basing characters on people who you're at least in regular contact with. 
because I personally have experienced, like I would, you know, try to base a character my mom or my dad, or every time I inevitably, I try to write a character based on, you know, whoever I'm dating at the time, because I want to do them some sort of justice and bring how wonderful they are into my life. And then what I always, and this is not true for everybody. I know lots of folks who don't have this problem, but what I always run into is they getting trapped in accurate representation over the story. Yeah. And it can lead the story astray because the tale itself needs to have its own air. And if I'm too worried about how somebody would say a particular line or if they would, you know, do something that the story requires, certainly if you're writing crime fiction and you've got your mom as a character, you're like, well, no, she's going to need to kill that guy. Mom wouldn't kill that guy. What do I do? So that could be dicey. Yeah. Kind of unrelated and kind of related. There was a, a dear friend of mine from a long time ago who I believe is not speaking to me anymore. Oh, that's not fun. Eh, I've got a lot of those. I'm not happy about it, but you, you learn to live with it. Anyway, goes by the name Buttercup McGillicuddy. You can Google him. You will find lots of incredible literary work and comic books and visual arts. I highly recommend you find Buttercup McGillicuddy. Such a great name. Oh, yeah. And not his given, but he he's done wonders with it. Anyway, he wrote a book. It was fictional, autobiographical, sort of that on-the-road territory. And it referenced a period of mm-hmm. some of the time when we lived together. And it was pretty straightforward. There was only a, one fantastical element to the book. Otherwise, it was the real world we live in. And that element was a character called the goat, who was based off me, who was an actual goat. And I didn't particularly like the way he depicted me, but I was, I did always enjoy that. Again, this was not a fantasy novel. This wasn't magic realism with this one exception. And that that was the role I had filled in his life at the time was this sort of manic animal creature that was something other than human. My fun story about having things based off you. What are some of the challenges that you've faced both in creating and like publishing under the shroud and all the other things you've been working on? The biggest problem that I run into is that I'm excitable. How that conveys is that, as you mentioned, I have like a million projects that I'm working on at any given point in time, and I don't always have the capability to see all of them through. But I do always, when I have a fresh, new, sort of complete-ish idea, I always want to get some piece of it down so that I can come back and deal with it later. A lot of some of my best work has been something that I worked on for a little bit, set it aside, and then came back. That's a smart way to do that. I have to do that a lot because I'll get like 16 million story ideas. So I jot it down, I put it on the shelf, and I'll remember it eventually. Right. So th- that, that is one aspect of it. It's just like finishing everything through. Right now I've got a, a series called Night in the Racketeer, which I hope to put out this summer as, a, as an audio drama. And I've written a pilot, and I'm very happy with the pilot, but I have not written the rest of the series because I just sort of lost focus, and now I'm having trouble digging back into that little tale. The other big problem that I have as a writer is keeping it basic and keeping it simple. I tend to want to overpopulate stories and worlds, which is one thing if you're doing a big budget Hollywood picture or a TV show or whatever, and another thing if you're doing prose. But in audio drama, you really need to be concise with your character use or else you end up just being confusing. And the other piece of that is that because, again, I'm doing writing a universe that is created whole cloth, more or less, I sometimes forget that I haven't necessarily explained a concept that 
I know backwards and forwards in my head and even maybe fans of the show who I've spoken with or, you know, chatted with online, they understand, but I don't always explain it in the script and thus anywhere from actors to listeners can get confused and sort of lost. Yeah. So that's, those are, I would say my, my biggest issues I've dealt with that and just not having money to pay my sound guy writing and recording takes so much of my time because I am doing a million things at once that I have to bring in a sound guy to take care, carry that weight. Anyway. Yeah. So that, that can be very tricky. Sometimes it's hard to pay people. It is tough. It is tough. How do you think I'm mostly going with ideas now that I can do almost entirely by myself? It's smart. Because I don't have to pay myself. Right? <laughs> a show I was talking about at the beginning, Enoch's Fables, that's the reason for that show, is a machine for pumping out content that I can produce entirely on my own. All I need is to find some music, write the stuff, record it myself, and that's it. And I'm good to go. That and I've been listening to... Um, Old Gods of Appalachia, which is an audio drama that I highly recommend to everybody. And that started to inspire me to um, head more in a monologue show direction. I've heard of that one. Is that a, a radio show that's been running for like ever? I don't, I think it's relatively new. I'd never heard of it until a couple days ago, but it's definitely, definitely worth checking out. Okay, so it's not the one I think it is, but I'm definitely intrigued because Appalachia, like the Appalachia Mountains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They jumped on Twitter in 2019. I can't imagine their show is terribly much older than that. I'll definitely check that one out. Um, Do you have like a favorite reaction or favorite dumb question you get when you tell people what you do? Oh, I mean, when I say podcast audio drama, people love to ask me if they can be a guest or people like to talk to me about their product ideas. There's this. Because so much of podcasting, and this is great, I love that this aspect of the medium is about interview shows, and it has this sensibility of this get-rich-quick mentality. People respond as if like, oh, you're kind of famous, and you can help me be famous too for being me. And then it's really difficult to step step them back from that because there's so many assumptions that are associated. Just be like, no, it's like, it's like writing TV, except that I don't make any money and it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot of hard work for something most people don't take seriously. Yep. yep. I am kind of hopeful looking with um, the golden mic thing. Have you seen no. that? It was announced at podcast movement earlier. I think it was earlier this month that there's going to be in like an actual award show like not just the audio really? award but an actual award show for podcasting wow and i'm like it's, it's probably not going to start out very big but just the fact that this is happening i think it's really promising for the industry because maybe people will start taking it more seriously oh yeah well and there's been a bunch of signs of that i mean everything from lime limetown getting picked up or what is it dirty john the the, the number of audio dramas are getting picked up for tv shows is incredible Netflix is getting into podcasting. Staples is getting into podcasting, although in very different ways. I didn't know Netflix was. I got to check that out. <laughs> I don't know if they've released anything yet, but I know they're working on it. And I know Marvel has that Wolverine show. Wolverine was a big one. The big one for me was was Hunted by Dick Wolf when that came out. He did a podcast. Yeah. And that's a guy who like, that's a money making machine. If he's doing a podcast, it's, it's, sticking around this is not the you know the eight track or whatever 
in my family, we watch a whole lot of crime mm-hmm. shows. That is a name I am very familiar with because. Yeah. If he's getting in, it's going to be real. I think yeah, he, he yeah. does NCIS. Oh, no, he's Law and Order. I've been watching NCIS okay. for years. I think he does a lot of shows. It's uh, it's all either Dick Wolf or another guy that does it, but it's usually one of the yeah. two if it's a crime show. Yeah, the two guys who sort of have created this sub-industry. Which there's a lot of really good ones, but then there's a lot of ones that get a little repetitive. I'm just mad they canceled Golden Boy before we got a finale. I don't know that one. Golden Boy was interesting because it was kind of told in flashbacks, and it was a story of how this one guy became the youngest ever New York police commissioner, and like it was very well done. I really enjoyed the characters. There's a lot of drama, and in the past, it showed him dating this woman who was like going through a divorce, and her ex was a it ended up being proven to be a dirty cop. Okay. And the main character is the one that proved that and basically ruined his life. So the season, the finale of the first season ends with angry ex-husband shows up to them to their date with a gun. The main character is trying to talk him down. There was like a blackout and you hear a gunshot and it never got renewed. Are you kidding me? Oh, God, what a pain. Also, it definitely blatantly hinted at the fact that the guy that's his mentor died at some point. We just don't know when because they showed his mentor guy always wearing this necklace and then it flashes to the future and he's holding that necklace. Yeah, that's unfinished mysteries are murder. And this was years ago and I still have not forgotten and I will not forgive. I need to know who got shot. Yeah, yeah. Did he get shot and just not killed? Did she get shot and is that, or did like someone else come along and shoot the crazy ex-husband? How was the next season going to start? Who was the executive producer on that? Oh, that is an excellent question. I actually don't remember. Every now and then somebody will like, when something gets canceled like that, they'll give a little bit of information. Like I remember when um, Carnival was canceled, the creator released all these. Oh, that was canceled? Oh, yeah. Well, that was if that had come out just a little later in game, that would be one of the great like the most it would be up there with Game of Thrones. But it was a little too early for its time. And he released the creator. I think Daniel Nauf is his name. He released a whole bunch of supplemental materials that sort of helped answer a lot of the mysteries that folks were helping figure out and would have figured out over the 10 seasons that he put out. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, this show was back. It got one season back in 2013. Oh, God. And the creator was Nicholas Wooten. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that name. Sorry, I was pulling up Netflix because something came up on Netflix and it started playing something. I'm like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so do you have any more questions for me? Uh, no, just is there like any pieces of advice that you'd like to give to people looking to do something different or create or something that you wish someone had told you in the beginning? I mean, the thing that I try to address as often as I can is how you write and how you deal with the fan base. If you're working with podcasting, audio drama specifically, is try to be as genuine to yourself as you possibly can, which sounds like something somebody says before a blind date and you should ignore them. But it really is true with a podcasting audio drama because it's going to be your voice that they hear and they are going to develop an intimate relationship with who you are in a way that's hard to define or put in a box. So if you're going to develop an audio drama, make sure that the voice that you as the creator 
are speaking is something that you feel strongly and consistently about. That just always be, every time you add a new character into a story, double check that you need them there because it's there's a very intimate thing that happens when somebody plugs in audio into their ears and becomes involved with the story. And you want to make sure that that relationship is straightforward, it's as clean as possible, and that and that it comes from a, a heartfelt place. Yeah, I agree with that, and I like it. And it's also good to keep the number of characters limited so you don't drown them in people that they don't need to keep straight, but they're too distracted trying to keep track of who's who and how they connect to everything and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I should say, some people pull it off. I don't recommend trying. Just keep it clean. Keep it simple. Stick to the thesis and antithesis of your story and just keep bouncing back and forth between the two. That and hurt your characters. Hurt them. Make them suffer and then let them figure their way out. I like the way you think. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> Any last parting comments slash shameless self-plugs you'd like to leave? Yep. Season two of Under the Shroud starts March 18th. Shoot us five stars. Shoot us a review. And make sure that you, uh, if you haven't already reviewed Elite Guide to World Domination, do it. Do it now. Review Please. it. You've already got it pulled up on your phone or on your computer because you're listening. Review. If you've enjoyed what you're listening to, and this is true of every podcast that you hear, the way that people find it is through those five stars and reviews. Every show that you love, make sure that the internet knows it because we all have wonderful stories to tell and we all are so excited to share them with you and we're all doing our best best that we can to struggle in this medium so just let the rest of the world know speak out i very much appreciate that because i was about to say that but you said it a lot better than i did Thank you. <laughs> uh, also march 18th march 18th first season's out of under the shroud go listen to it right now you'll have a blast it's fun yours isn't the only show that's getting a new season soon uh, oh no there's a doesn't I mean, isn't vince show how i died that's may right i don't know if he said a specific date but i think may. i think may yeah i think may May is the fingers crossed date, but I'm I'm also very excited for that one. He's another guy who's got um who likes to stay busy and has a day job. <laughs> yep. God bless the day job. I feel like everyone in the audio media server we just keep very very busy and have a yep. day job. We don't know how to stop. Once you realize that you that you can pump out content and can reach out to the world and and have a voice in these dark times, it becomes very addictive. It's interesting because I, I think a lot about, you know, if this whole thing works out the way I want it to and the fantasy meetings occur and I start writing for television, like, you know, what does that life look like? And what I realize is it looks like a bunch of people who know what the time frames are that the human body can stand and pushing those limits but they're they exist like there's an office where you go to to write these things and there's you know there's people who are keeping an eye on you whereas with podcasting we don't we aren't necessarily surrounded by people who are going okay really at this point you need to slow down and take a break or this is too much or these are too many please for the love of god eat a sandwich <laughs> Oh my God. I never, it wasn't until I got into podcasting that I started like missing food for a couple of, for a day or two, just because I forgot there was podcasting alone that got me into that. I've never quite gotten to that, but that's just because my stomach is very, very pointed about the fact that lady, you need to eat and you need to eat now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it could, it, it could happen. I'm just saying 
Eat. eat. That, that's another piece of advice. Um, eat food. Drink water. Take care of yourself. T- take care of yourself. You are no good to anyone if you can't function. Amen. Amen. Did something a little different this week. A couple days after recording, Ian posted this morning greeting to his patrons. And when I heard it, I asked his permission to use it as part of the episode. I feel like it helps give a better glimpse into his creative process and some of the things you can look forward to in the future of the Shared Universe. Good morning, my friends. All right, let's get the video in my way. How we doing, guys? Um, I am just brand spanking fresh out of the shower, in case that wasn't painfully obvious. Um, and headed in to get some work done. Very excited. Um, I believe I'll be finishing off the um, Enoch's Fables adaptation of Genesis today, uh, titled... The Hubris of God, which I think is super clever, but uh, most times I've mentioned the title to folks in conversation, they, not all, but nearly all of the times I've said something about it, people give me this look like, ah, yes, Um, and part of that is that I'm, you know, I'm by no means the greatest linguist around and by no means have the most startling vocabulary, but the few words that I do have locked in that are part of my consciousness that aren't necessarily used as much, I'm very proud of and very excited to speak of. Um, one of them being the word hubris, which uh, the way I, I'm not, I'm not going to give a dictionary definition, but the way I was given to understand it is that hubris is the sin of likening oneself to God. Um, so the hubris of God, I don't know. I think it's pretty clever. And uh, particularly if you have been following the Shroud universe and are hip to the way that we deal with religion as a concept. Uh, so, hey, hey, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before on these things. Um, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I should listen back to some of the episodes of Weaving the Shroud because I just tend to be going off at the mouth. And I don't really plan it out or recall exactly the points I've made. I just try to come up with something that's fresh for the day. But um, I would just like to mention my take on religious satire, which is I like to think of it as the natural progression of something of a a tradition is that you challenge it. one of the greatest things about this country and what I think every true patriot should do at some point is protest. Um, you don't just get given um, a, a framework. A framework needs to be tested by the weight and by the elements. And um, and that's what I think of. When I think of uh, the, the, the way I approach Christianity in the Shroud universe. Um, I'm not a Christian, but I do hold Judeo-Christian values. Um, I have a lot of respect for people who have maintained uh, a sense of faith and certainly those who have maintained a sense of virtue in such troubling times. I have no need to just piss on people just because they believe in things. What I do have need to do is take an existing mythology and turn it on its ass um, and point out its faults and... You know, and and it's part of the cultural lexicon. Like when I say thing, when I talk about God as the the what, what's the term I used? 
Uh, the grumpy sun god is how Jehovah is frequently referred to in the Shroud universe. And there's a reason for that. I like the idea of positing that if this god were exactly what we talk about, how would he fit into my universe? It's I approach him the same way I would Zeus or Hercules or Kukulin or Lilith or Queen Mab or anybody. I, 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 I have a way that I look at the world. And if there were a singular god and he, you know, was a participa uh, participatory in the Old Testament, and if he had a kid and that kid was kind of a fuck-up, um, what would he be like? And that's where I get this sort of um, self-centered, um, never-made-happy, always um, uh, kind of infuriated that people don't believe what he wants them to believe character. I'm rather fond of him as a character. I mean, I'm also fond of, you know, characters like Boyd Crowder or Kaiser Soze, but I I think he's I think he's an interesting fella and I'm really enjoying sort of taking him out for her, his first walk in this universe where he's actually an active character not just referred to. I've also put him alongside Lilith, uh Lucifer Morningstar. I think those are the main characters we've that I deal with in my rewriting of Genesis. There's some mention of just sort of more generically harpies, goblins, cyclops, satyrs. Um, I was actually struggling with this a little bit because I've discovered that in large part because of the way elementary school curriculums are formed around this country, I, I've pretty I've stuck pretty close to using Greek mythology as my go-tos, and that's because we know them. You know, they show up in a lot of Renaissance art. But I need to expand my horizons, and and that's just tricky for me. Some of it has to do with my old uh, battle with punching down. Uh, like, I've thought about doing sort of a chupacabra-type thing, but I don't want to piss anybody from that culture off. Um, because if I do it, it's going to be kind of silly, kind of weird, and definitely villainous. But I do want to start reaching out and finding more critters and monsters from mythology. Um... It's just tricky because you got to find a name that people know. And I more or less refuse to use the standards. Vampires, uh, elves and dwarves are now officially written in, though they will be different than you've seen them before. Yeah, so fine. I, 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 am, I am wholly aware that I have not a single African, Asian, or uh, uh, American, Aboriginal American monster running around, I don't think. And that's not fun. It's more fun for it to be diverse. So yeah, so I'm probably going to have to start digging into that. And I think I'm going to have to do so before I give up on the Genesis. Though there would be an interesting twist there if Jehovah's, um, I don't know, journalist who writes all this shit down only really gives credit to the things that come out that we know from Greek mythology and a little bit from Nordic mythology. Um, anyway, we'll see. It's a diverse world, the Shroud, and I think all of you know that. But my battle tends to be more uh, on the side of feminism than on the side of racism because of my background. Um, and uh, it's a tough thing to admit, but it's a truth. If I'm sticking up for the underdog, I tend to stick up for women uh, before I stick up for race. And then race is immediately after. Actually, you know what? That's not even true. I tend to stick up for um, women and then homosexuality and then race if I had to give it a pecking order. That's uncomfortable to say out loud. And uh, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this sometime down the line. 
oh, you know what? Actually, all of that is totally bullshit because the people I stick up for first are people who are poor. That's what I find most interesting. It's the struggle of the impoverished, which crosses all of those lines. And I think that and I think that if you if the court reporter reads it back, they will find that my testimony is valid from the work I've created. And then I go towards addicts and then on down the list. That's not really a list. I don't know. I guess my point is that I need to work harder at um, at racial issues if I'm going to continue to really harp on the fact that I, uh, I like writing the stories of the disenfranchised. And that's not as easy to do for both the, for the, the two technical reasons, um, one of which is much more emotional, which is the issue of punching down that I don't like to write uh, cliche. I don't like to write. I don't find interesting. I don't find valuable writing paper-thin characters and giving characters from groups that I do not personally have... Uh, uh, I don't have a stake in. It's that I can't represent that reality for, on a personal level. The constant fear is like, oh, like I wrote an episode not that long ago that has a character who... um. Uh, I, I listened to hours and hours and hours of um, Malcolm X's uh, speeches to get him right because he has this sort of uh, black urban revolutionary mentality. And I've got my own take on the character and blah, 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 blah. But uh, and I love this speech. And the actor who's already recorded it uh, did a fantastic job. But I'm very anxious about putting out that episode because the, the worst thing I can imagine is A – Somebody feeling like, oh, look at white boy trying to, you know, pretend he's one of us, which I'm not. I'm just not. And B, to have that said to me would just be heartbreaking and uh, and lay me low in a way that I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel like that. So there's the punching down. at There's the general association. I'm sorry. I got, I got lost there because this is all very intense. Very important to me. That isn't obvious. Oh, and then on the mythological end of things, there's the technical problem of, I don't know any African monsters. I just don't know any. And the ones that I know are of, the, uh, are of a Nazi's ilk and just sort of tend to be um, animal myth. You know when you get into a conversation with yourself or... Uh, uh, theoretical audience, and then you answer the question. Yeah, that's what just happened there. The key is just to involve more um, animal gods, and then not make it a race thing. It's just we all know what a fucking spider is. We all know what a fucking I don't know antelope or jackal or <laughs> mustang. Yeah, that's the answer to that question, and it speaks to something. Wow, that speaks to something fucking beautiful and brilliant in the work I have to do today. All right, guys, that's going to have to wrap us up. Um, <laughs> this is a kind of long one. But a fairly revel uh, revelatory one. I've had a revelation. And I hope that you guys have too. Um, season two comes out in under two weeks now. Isn't that fucking crazy? We're about to hit the rat race again. And this time... Um, very briefly, I do want to talk about this. At Austin Film Festival, which many of you know I attended last year, thanks to the incredible Lindsay Beasley, 
uh, Austin Film Fest, at, at, when I was there, I made a series of very, very large claims to people who have, um, who are making, who are making careers out of podcasting while I am doing not that, maybe making one, but right now I'm just, you know, making it. I made a series of large claims that I was going to try to put out. At that point, I th- think I said four shows this year. And I had those four shows lined up and ready to rock. I spent a lot of work getting them in the, like, I can show this to a guy phase um, before I went into the festival. But um, it's looking now like that's actually going to happen. Um, not the shows that we intended. Those were those are great scripts I'm very proud of, and I'm going to try to get them made someday. But in the meantime, um, I've got a couple of things that are coming along. They're going to be much more simplistic, certainly much briefer. But I am going to probably get four shows made, and that is... That ain't nothing, you guys. It's not nothing. All right, I was wrapping it up, right? Because Revelations and and Punching Down and my fear of uh, uh, disenfranchising the disenfranchised and my love of y'all. Two weeks, gang. Two fucking weeks. We'll haunt your thoughts and dreams. An Incomplete Guide to World Domination is directed and produced by Brianna Toybert as part of Pseudonym Social, a creative podcast network. Music is by Patrick Chester of Chester Studios. You can find more of his work at chesterstudios.net. If you would like to help support our show, you can find us at patreon.com slash pseudonymsocial. You can also leave a review on iTunes to make our show easier to find for those who need it. For more information on the other shows produced by Pseudonym Social, please check out our website at pseudonymsocial.wordpress.com.